there's ways to communicate to somebody and a ways not to communicate to somebody. And I think that that is so powerful because we can't change people for who they are. Everybody is going to have their different behavioral traits. We just change the way we can communicate to them, knowing that somebody who may be more detail-oriented may get a little stressed when the details are overlooked, but maybe we have to then change the way that we're communicating with that person if we're on you know, a one-on-one meeting with them. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another great episode of Out of the Hourglass. My name is Molly, and I am back as your episode host, joined by my NCG colleague and business system specialist, Sydney Bates. Sydney and I decided that we were missing a critical episode in our podcast channel lineup, an episode that focused solely on DISC foundational training. If you're an avid Out of the Hourglass listener or have or are working with our team, you'll know that we speak to DISC and its language pretty frequently, weekly, if not daily. We apply the concept to training conversations, hiring and recruiting, organizational role deep dives, communication techniques, IDPs, and so much more. DISC is a foundational piece of our coaching at NCG, and well, gosh, it deserves its own moment. On today's episode, Sydney is our DISC expert. She breaks down the concept, highlighting the behaviors and motivators that we often refer to. Hi C, hi I, what do they actually mean? And how they work together. Sydney and I even share highlights from our own results, applying and processing, what we know about DISC to our personalities and how we approach tasks or situations in our own environments. I went into this episode thinking I had a good understanding, but a shout out to Sydney for really pulling the missing pieces together for me. Pro tip, if you've ever taken the DISC before, find your results after listening to this episode. I know something new will stand out to you. Out of the Hourglass is a podcast channel dedicated to helping small business owners and contractors visualize their goals develop high-performing teams, and build sustainable growth. It's time to get out of the hourglass. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Out of the Hourglass. I'm excited to welcome um, one of our newer NCG employees, though not our newest because she's been around for a little while now, um, but it's her first, I think, solo podcast episode. Sydney Bates, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Molly. Happy to be here. And yes, my first time on the podcast as a guest. Yes. Happy to have you. Now, those of you listeners might recognize Sydney's voice from our book clubs that we've done. Um, you know, always she's contributing her ideas. And I invited Sydney for this podcast in particular, focused on understanding DISC. Um, the reason why I invited Sydney is because she is living in the DISC profile profile world uh, pretty often these days. She's seen a lot of profiles come through her computer and different assessments. She also recently completed a training with DISC and so is much more fluent in the, the language than I am. And we thought it made sense um, with how much we utilize this language in our coaching, in our podcast episodes, um, just in our in our regular conversations here at NCG and and, and, and elsewhere that we need to do a foundational class on the language. So Sydney is here to do that for us. Thank you, Sydney. You're welcome. Happy, so to, bef- happy to be here. So before we jump into the world of DISC, let's do just a quick intro, Sydney, for those uh, listeners who are not familiar with you. So Sydney, tell us um, who you are, your role at NCG, and how long you've been here. 
Sure. Um, I have been at NCG for a little over a year, I think about a year and two months. Um, I am a business systems specialist. Uh, That's a new role for me. When I initially joined, um, it was more of a hybrid between a little bit of the things I'm doing now and um, client services, uh, which is where I saw a lot of DISC reports come through. Yes. Um, in that role. Now I am in the business system specialist role, helping um, the Grasshoppers team with our NCG tools, Smartsheet, other um, just coaching implementation. Fantastic. And so the Grasshoppers team is one of our coaching teams that we have. We've recently assigned um, some fun names to our different kind of coaching teams that have been created here. We've got the Hedgehog is another, the Transformers is one more, uh, but Sydney is a resident Grasshopper. Uh, yes. Fun yes. stuff. We are so always learning. Always learning. So they all the names have some meaning behind them as to why they've been chosen. Sydney, what's something fun the listeners should know about you? Or interesting. Yeah. And I actually think this ties to why I, I like DISC so much, but in my personal life, I am a dog trainer. So I have a, a pet dog training business, um, as well as my, my real passion lies in competing in dog sports with my own dog, um, Maggie. She's 13 years old and we still actively compete in canine nose work. Um, but that's where you'll find me after work on the weekends. Um, and you know, dog training is all about behaviors and motivators. And that's really what this is about too. That's so true. We know that dogs can be motivated by food amongst other things. Um, I can personally attest to Sydney's dog training. She has assisted with my crazy Bernie's puppy, um, turned her from a crazy puppy into a champion. (laughs) No, just kidding. She's still crazy, but now she's, now she's a little bit more behaved. Um, so yeah, so I actually, I'm glad that you brought that up, Sydney, because I do think that is a, a major factor as to why this, I think the coaching environment here at NCG and the DISC language really does speak to you because mm-hmm. you see it both from the human perspective, but you also see it from the animal training perspective that you do. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're making a lot of connections, which is really cool. So uh, let's move into it. So you recently finished a DISC training class um, with TTI, which is the organization that um, creates and facilitates the DISC. Um, You also do a lot of training internally with our team. You've been on a lot of DISC um, uh, analysis calls. You've worked on team debriefs. So there's a lot that you've been in the DISC world for quite some time now. So let's start. What is DISC? Yeah, so to boil it down, it really is just a behavioral assessment. Um, So it's a series of 24 questions where you're rating different statements and how you agree with them or how you disagree with them. Um, And then once the assessment is completed, a report is then generated um, with the results from your assessment. And um, the, the disc is broken out into two parts. So there's the behaviors, and then the motivators that are driving forces, which we'll go into a little bit later. It's wild for those who have, um, you know, taken a disc assessment, know this. Um, if you haven't, you, you take these 24 questions that are feel very challenging to fill yes. out, but they're designed <laughs> to be that way. Um, but then you receive this 40 plus page report on the results and 
and some aspects you're like, wow, there I am right on paper in black and white and colored graphs. It's, yeah. it's wild just to see how your answers to some questions can really kind of pull out your true self. So yeah. how does the DISC assessment work? How do people take this, Sydney? So there is a few ways that uh, we will see somebody um, take a DISC assessment. One of them is in the hiring stages. Um, so we have a lot of our, our clients um, and, and some clients even do this for all of their employees when they get to that higher level of the interview process, mm-hmm. um, run a DISC assessment on them so they can really see who this person is before they make that decision um, to bring that person into their organization. Um, another way that we'll see it done is understanding somebody that is already on their team, uh, whether it's there may be some conflict or you know they, they learn about the DISC assessment through being in Summit and they want to do um, a, what we call a team DISC. So TTI, our uh, provider, offers a team disc where we can take, you know, a whole team, a whole sales team or a whole operations team and take all of the reports and combine them into one team report that is going to analyze everybody against each other. Um, So you can see the different strengths and the weaknesses of the team, um, how members should communicate with one person versus the other, how the team leader can communicate. Um, so that's, that's really, really powerful when you're looking at an, a whole team. Um, and another way is us internally for our new clients um, and coaching, um, just as much as our clients need to understand their employees as coaches, we need to understand who we're coaching and how to best communicate to them and, and how they work and how they operate uh, to be successful. That, that word communicate to me is what stands out the most in when we look at uh, the behaviors of an individual and mo- what motivates them. It's now given us a tool of a, for, in terms of what language to use with them, because, yes. you know, what we've learned, and if you've listened to our podcast recently, where we're talking about the role of a coach and it's you're coaching the whole person when in this, in this business, and it's not your you might go in as an as a business owner thinking that you are just going to be coached on your organization, but re- really, what happens is it's it's the full person, it's the it's the full um, vision and values of the individuals that we that we that we work with um, that impact the organization. And so, knowing how people operate allows us to better work with them. Yeah, exactly. And also um, to pair with that knowing how somebody is going to operate under stress too. Totally. Um, you know, you can, you can take somebody at, at face value and in their natural and their disc and how they've been, but you know, what happens when that person is going through, you know, some personal issues at home or has an extreme workload and you're like, well, you know, he was like this, he was fine for six months. And now all of a sudden, you know, something like a different person. Right, right, right. And it's like, okay, well, let's, let's go back into their disc. And, you know, there's a whole section on, you know, what, what that person may um, be displaying when they're, when they're under stress. So it's a, it's a really, really comprehensive report. It's like the answer was there all along. You just, it's like, it's like the guidebook in a sense. Yes. Um, yeah. So, what, you know, when we think about all, all of these things we just mentioned, what is the most interesting part to you about DISC and what it, what it shows us? 
I think the most interesting part is, you know, how really, when you think about it, you may not, you know, I know that when Molly, you sent me mine, when I was Mm -hmm. in the hiring process here, I read through it. And initially some of the things I was like, that can't be me. And then I'm thinking about it. I'm like, no, this is the wrong. This is not right. This is not right. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, no, no, that that's actually, that really is me. And um, so, you know, from a, uh, just how, you know, they, they formulated this assessment and how accurate it really can be um, is so interesting to me, um, as well as, you know, you were talking about communication a little bit earlier, there's ways to communicate to somebody and a ways not to communicate to somebody section. Um, and I think that that is so powerful because, you know, we, we can't change people for who they are. People mm-hmm. are people, everybody you know, is going to have their different behavioral traits. We just change the way we can communicate to them, you know, knowing that, you know, somebody who may be more detail oriented may get a little um, stressed when the details are overlooked, but maybe we have to then change the way that we're communicating with that person Mm -hmm. if we're on, you know, a one-on-one meeting with them. So true. Or if you, somebody who's pretty direct and a dominant individual. Yes. If you're not that way and they speak to you in a certain way, it teaches us not maybe not to take things so personally because exactly. the intention behind what they said to us was not to be mean or harsh, but it's just the way that things are delivered in their yes. natural style. So, I mean, that I think leads us into this, the next part of this conversation is let's talk about the behaviors and what, what these all mean. So when you receive your results, uh, the kind of the first section is focusing on behaviors mm-hmm. and there are four behaviors, um, that are, are broken down that we all fall into to, in some degrees. And you'll see a graph of different colors. Uh, so kind of from, from a visual standpoint will help you understand, um, what, what you look like, but Cindy, what are the four behaviors that we all fall into? Sure. So they, the four behaviors actually spell out this. So the D is dominance. Um, the I is influence. The S is steadiness and the C is compliance. And to go into that just a little deeper, um, D meaning dominance is really, you can think about in how people approach problems and challenges. Um, how are they going to, you know, handle a situation or handle a meeting with that more uh, direct approach. Mm-hmm. And I is a people and contacts person, that influencer, they're approaching a conversation, um, maybe not sticking 100% to the task at hand, but trying to develop that personal connection first, and then diving into the task at hand. Um, the S is steadiness. So that is pace and, and consistency. The S is, you know, looking to be, or a higher S is looking to be consistent with their pace and at how they work. Um, and your C compliance, um, being a high C, um, I always think of that as we are the rule followers. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, they talk about procedures and constraints. So it's, you know, that your higher um, Cs are looking for your details and how, how fine-tunedly are you looking to those details as well as, um, you know, if the rules are laid out, they are going to look at those rules and say, okay, this is the construct that I need to follow. Um, they may not be quick to say, 
okay, you know, I'm not going to do that, even though it says it says so here. So when you get these results and you see, you know, that graph and it's D I S C across and it's a bar graph. So you see Mm -hmm. kind of how, you know, how high or low you are in each of these areas. Often we, we speak to what are you most, what are the, what are the top two you're highest in? So you're a, a high D and a high S or a low C and a high, I mean, we, so we, we use this language a lot. So this will not, that's the language. So, you know, myself, I am a high I high S my C does raise, but I'm a low D. I don't like to be confrontational. I'm not very direct. I may need, may step it up a little bit when I need to, but that's not my, that's not who I am. And if you know me, that's probably what you expect. Right. Um, so like, that's when I get my results, that's to me is not, I'm like, Oh, that's pretty true. This is pretty accurate about myself. Um, but what does that mean? The high I, the high or the low C, what are we kind of comparing that against too? And in terms of ourselves and others? Sure. So if you, um, or listeners, if you're envisioning a bar graph, in the middle, um, right at the, the 50 line is going to be what they call the energy line. And that is measuring the intensity. So a behavior that is below the energy line is considered low. And a behavior where their bar is going to go above the energy line is considered high. Um, and I think it's important to note that the high and the low does not equal good or bad. Uh, I think that that's really important for people to understand that there is no good or bad, it's just behavior. And in the dog training world, we say there is no good or bad, we say undesirable versus desirable. So when we're looking at this, you know, we may look at in a specific role, maybe one behavior is going to be more desirable than the other, but it really is not good or bad. Um, It's just who the person is and what behaviors they're going to display in certain environments. Um, And to say that there is also a natural versus adaptive graph. So there's, you're so in the report, there's going to be two different graphs. And this is in when your environmental changes, or when your environment changes, excuse me, your disc is going to adapt itself. Some people really don't adapt themselves. Some people do. So for example, with me, my natural style is my I is higher than my C. They're both high, but my, the I is higher. In the workplace, in my adapted style, my I drops down and my C jumps up. Um, so that means that I am, you know, crunching into more of the details and, and the tasks that I'm doing and lowering that I, you know, still, still both of them being high, but it's interesting to see where, you know, some people knowing, um, you know, being maybe a little self-aware and will adapt themselves in, in certain situations. Absolutely. So when we're looking typically at somebody's profile and we're, you know, we're looking for what, what their typical behavior is. Are we looking at the adapted? Are we looking at the natural? So we're looking at, you know, really both in a way, but when we're analyzing it from a workplace standpoint, we are looking at the adaptable or sorry, the adapted knowing though, that a lot of times in times of stress, people revert back to their natural state. 
Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, if <clears throat> I think of, of the days where things are just piling on, piling on, piling on, piling on, if somebody, you know, is a lower C, that's when you're going to see all of those details kind of fall through the cracks yep. because in stress, they're going to revert back to their natural style because at the end of the day, that is really, you know, who we are. Like I said earlier, people are they're kind of who they are. And so it's interesting, you talked about, um, you know, from your own desk results and being in the work environment, you know, your C gets higher in the work environment. And that's because mm-hmm. the work that you do is so detail oriented. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in, in the hiring process with you, we knew that we needed somebody who was going to be a high C, like we were, we were looking for that. So when you just came back, I was like, yes, she's got the C like that. <laughs> that's what, so that was a really important part or behavior to us in, in filling this role. So, I mean, we speak to this in some other podcasts that we do, you know, about, you know, different roles in the organization, the sales role, the HR role, the bookkeeper role, Mm -hmm. there are different profiles that, that succeed and really thrive in those roles, which is why we so heavily speak to and encourage the disc, because we can tell you what we know a successful sales profile looks like. We can tell you what a successful bookkeeper role looks like. Um, The the why or or the motivators that we're going to get into next play a part in that, but the behaviors are are pretty spot on in terms of what what drives success in these different positions. Yeah, I would say I, you know, I really agree, Molly, if you're, um, if you have a, you know, a sales a uh, person that is a really low D, you know, they may have a hard time being so direct and asking for the sale. Um, so, you know, if that person is challenging in their role and we look back at their disc and we say, oh, well, here it is, right? That explains um, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the disc profile, you know, um, there's there's so many aspects to the to the report and how it can help us. Um, but yes, the, the driving forces as well, you know, um, in our, in our debriefs, sometimes what we'll, we'll look at, if we're looking at potential candidates, um, we'll say, okay, well, maybe their behaviors aren't spot on in, in what that ideal behavioral characteristics would look like for that role. But then let's look at their driving forces, mm-hmm. because if their driving forces, which is the why to the behavior align with that um, specific role, then then maybe they they will be successful because that the why is truly what is what drive is is what drives them. I like that because it's not completely black and white in terms of the behaviors. We we're we're not just looking at the one component and making a decision. Uh, we're looking at the why behind. Why, why do they act the way that they do? What's truly motivating them yes. deep down, which I find to be um, really interesting. And the, again, going back, I think the whole reason we do this, do this is because you want people to succeed in the roles that you're putting them in, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they want to succeed. You want them to succeed. Um, so this is a great way to be making sure we're, we're making kind of the right step in that direction. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the motivators driving forces. Break them down for us. Sure. So there are six motivators, and then each of those motivators have two driving forces paired with them. 
Um, so that's going to equal 12 different driving forces. And again, the driving forces is the why. It's the, you know, what is that, you know, burning inside of them that is going to make them display the behaviors that we talked about earlier. Like so why first, can oh, I like just, so like if someone is a really high D, which means mm-hmm. they're, they're really, they're really direct. They're a really dominant personality. Why are they this way? And right. so as you go through some of these motivators, there are a couple that are going to stand out, whether it's they're, they like money, they want power that like, those are things that kind of that connect back to that behavior. Yes. So, so think yeah. about that as Sydney's kind of going through these different motivators. So the first one is theoretical and the keyword that's paired to that is knowledge. So it's about how people would like to acquire knowledge. If you are instinctive, you generally like to acquire knowledge for a specific task at hand. So we are looking into starting a new division with our company. I'm going to do all the research because I know I'm starting that division. Where the flip driving force is intellectual, which is personally my highest driving force. I'm a very high intellectual. Yeah, meaning that I love learning just for the sake of learning. So I will go in and research and research heavily for something that's not even at this point realistic in my life. (laughs) I just like you just want to know about it. I want to know. I want to know. I want to know. I love watching documentaries. You know, I'm listening to podcasts all the time. Um, And so that's the intellectual person. So if you if you are, you know, thinking about a research project in your company, you know, looking to somebody who may be that intellectual, they may really like that and they may volunteer to do that project. Whereas somebody that is more instinctive, again, this is not a bad thing. It's just that they're more so I'm going to learn because this is the task that I need to complete. So they need a reason to be exactly to be learning. Yes. And so do you fall with these driving forces, you know, the instinctive on the left, intellectual on the right within the theoretical umbrella? Do you fall like on a continuum here? You do. So it is on a continuum. Um, And so you most likely will be more swayed to one side versus the other. You can be in the middle because I actually am in the middle on one of them, um, which then again, like everything, it reverts back to your environment. Um, So sometimes you may be feeling more this way and sometimes you may be feeling more that way, just depending on your environment. Um, And there's also, you have your primary driving forces as well as your situational and indifferent driving forces. So there are gonna be some that are gonna be more pertinent to you and some where it's, it's not really something that, is uh, very motivating to you. Um, The next one is the utilitarian. So I like to think about this as how do you handle your time, your energy, your resources? If you are on the right side, which is a higher utilitarian, um, that's called resourceful. And we like to think of that as the time is money person. Mm. So they're looking at a situation, their time, Um, their energy and thinking, okay, this has to be for something that is beneficial for me, right? Versus a selfless, which is the word that's on the other side of the continuum is looking at it. Oh yes, I can, you know, I can take two hours out of my day to 
you know, do something that maybe isn't so concretely going to benefit myself. It's funny. I, I mean, as you're, as you're talking about these, I'm like thinking back to my own and like, where do, I forget actually where I fall with these particular driving forces. And now I'm really interested to take a, a peek back because it will explain probably why I do a lot of the things that I do. No, they do. And, and, you know, I'm a, a higher utilitarian. And when I saw that, I was like, really, I think I'm a nice person. And that's not how you, how you should be looking at this. You just should be looking at it as this is how I value my time and my energy and my resources. It doesn't mean that it's good or bad. It doesn't mean that this person is, you know, nice or not nice. It's, it's just for how they value it. So, you know, I would say a utilitarian, um, we probably are living by our calendars, put time on my calendar, you know, because otherwise I'm off doing something else. So true. Right. Uh, whereas, but if you schedule that time in my calendar, I'm more than willing, you know, but yeah. it's that, you know, being able to manage our resources, because again, time is money, right. Uh, which is a you know a phrase that you can think of. It's funny. I just pulled up my, um, my driving forces and just to go and go back to the last two. Mm-hmm. So I'm different than you. I am more instinctive. So I will research for a task, not necessarily just to learn. I watch the occasional documentary, but you know, they have to peak, they have to really peak my interest. Uh, but in terms of utilitarian, I definitely fall more on the resourceful time. I do. I live by, by my calendar. If I get invited to something or it's a person or it's a professional thing, it goes right on the calendar. Like I need, right. I need to know what's happening. I need to plan my weekends out. That's important to me. Um, so we're aligned there, but it's funny kind of going back to that, the theoretical one, um, how you and I differ, but that's also what shows like the importance of having different people on your team, right? Oh, for sure. Like for we sure. balance each other out in so many different ways. Um, yeah. Yeah. And if I can um, skip to the next one aesthetic. I mean, Molly, this is you. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, so so the aesthetic is your surroundings and how you value your surroundings in terms of needing to work in them. So on the left side is objective. That's a person that could work in a closet. They don't need the wall color to be correct. They don't need the certain desk with the flowers on it and their Mm -hmm. pens organized and everything in a specific way. And then on the right side is your harmonious person who is what we would consider a higher aesthetic, meaning that the, and I also think of like restaurants in this too, because some people can just go to a restaurant and as long as the food is good, they don't care. But some people really value, you know, the ambiance and everything. That's what I think of with the, with the aesthetic. And, And Molly, I know that you know, when I was reading that you jumped right into my mind. Yes, I do fall, um, much very high in that that category. Um, whereas on the left side objective, I mean, uh, this is not new to anybody, but Andrew could work in a closet and be as productive in a beautiful office as he is in a closet. I, on the other hand would not be okay. I would be like, no, I can't work. This is not, this is not working for me. I'm a person that like, I need to have my desk clean before I can sit down and start working. Like if my desk is a crazy, uh, crazy mess, it I'm, I, and myself and them a crazy mess internally. Um, my, my external environment has to kind of be set up for my internal kind of productivity to kick in. So yeah, yeah. And it's really important. Actually, oh, sorry. No, it's, it's, I think it's important when you think about 
your teams too. Like what kind of environment are you setting up for them? If you bring somebody in, right, who's a high aesthetic and you have them in a terrible environment, office space, they are not going to be happy and they're not going to be productive. Um, so just know that maybe, maybe they need a plant. Maybe yes. they need a plant and a lamp and a nice desk, and that will make them happier. Just little, little things can make a big difference. Right, right. And I was even thinking in terms of um, roles, you know, we don't talk about the ideal marketing disc from the behaviors perspective, but definitely when you're looking at these driving forces, I assume that a, that somebody in a marketing role is going to be a higher aesthetic, you know, uh, with me, this is, this is my, um, motivators that I was telling you I'm even on. So I'm actually the exact same with objective versus harmonious. Um, and where if I'm looking at a, a marketing document, I can edit it for the details, right? My higher C, but in terms of design and everything, I'm kind of like, I want it to look presentable, but I'm not going to go yeah. the extra mile. And, you know. Yeah. It's, if you're a digital content creator or, or a digital designer, um, a color, um, I'm blanking on the color consultant. Thank you. You are definitely going to fall in to that aesthetic, um, harmonious, uh, position. All right, let's move on to the next one, Sid. So the next one is social and that really um, is assisting others. And again, this is one where it's, it's not gonna be you're a good or a bad person, it's just your driving forces. So on the left side, there's intentional. Um, so it's an intentional um, thing, it's an intentional event. On the right side is gonna be altruistic where it could be anything. Um, and I think that, you know, um, that this one is important again, when you're looking at it, you may think like, for example, I'm more intentional and it's not that I don't want to volunteer my time because I do, it just has to be for something that speaks to me, right? Yep. Where an altruistic person, it could be anything. As long as they're helping people, that's what brings them joy, right? Uh, which mm-hmm. I'm thinking about Maureen, our client services coordinator who does a lot and is a coach and, and everything. And she's very altruistic um, and I can see that when, you know, I was thinking of her when I was reading this. Um, but yes, it's, it's, again, it's not one of those that's good or bad. It's necess- It's just in situations. I love that as you, you know, were doing training or reading through these, that different people stood out to you. Yes. It, it's just uh, that it, it's just, it's fitting how um, you being around different people and seeing how they operate and interact with others, you can begin to pinpoint what's important to them and what motivates them. Mm-hmm, for sure. All right. So let's move on to number five. Number five is indi- individualistic. Big word. Um, and big the key word. <laughs> for that is, is power. Um, and that's really your need to be recognized for your accomplishments. Your personal freedom is very important to you. Um, you know, I'm thinking about one of our book club books, Drive, um, mm-hmm. by Daniel Pink, where he was talking about the um, autonomy in the workplace. Somebody that's on the right side, which is commanding, most likely needs a lot of autonomy over their life, in, you know, in every aspect of it, mm-hmm. right? Versus the other side on the left is collaborative. And that's somebody, you know, who doesn't really need to be recognized for every detail, um, that they complete, that they don't need to be that one that's in power. Um, they're, they're perfectly fine being, you know, in, in the, you know, in the back, just plugging away, 
doing their tasks where the commanding person is that person that's right in the front. Hey, look at me, look at me, you know? Yep. Would I have a question. Are mm-hmm. some of these two, because it's, it is a continuum, there's probably kind of different points. Like I am, I do fall closer to the commanding side, but there's, there's different points where I think I'm more motivated than others to be that way. Like it's maybe certain events that I organize or certain parts of my life that I want that my, my, that the individualistic component is higher versus other situations where I'm like, I'm good to be in the back. Like I don't need to be here. So is it, is it situational? It is. Yeah. And that's really, you know, what going through the training, one of the things that they hit on a lot was that this is environmental meaning that in different environments, you may display this and in different environments, you may not, but in general, you will fall here. Right. Got it. Um, So yes, I mean, I, I totally agree. Um, You know, especially with the commanding one, because naturally if in the workplace, if you're put in charge of something, Molly, I'm thinking of the grand summit, right. Mm -hmm. Um, You are the commanding person, right. Yes. Um, versus, you know, maybe if we're on a huddle where, you know, maybe Brian and Catherine are the ones that are, are leading or facilitating and are the decision makers, you know, um, I'm, I'm so, good to be in the back. Right, I'm, right. Like, I think especially too, probably it comes down to like situational or environmental, uh, if it's about a topic or something that you're involved in or know something about, like maybe you, you do want to be heard. And then other times you're like, I'm good to be just part of the group in this yes. scenario. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting, I guess, when you look at the results that the results give you kind of where you're, you're most likely or most often to be, but definitely keep the situational component in mind. Yeah. And to that point, uh, when you look at your report, I mentioned them a little bit before, but you do have the primary driving forces. So the ones that are in your primary, those are going to be the ones that are more um, pertinent to you. Whereas if it's a situational driving force, again, sometimes this, sometimes that, and then an indifferent driving force, it's there, but not really what's pushing you along. Okay. So that's something to look at um, after the continuum um, in the report, it'll, it'll give you a list of your um, primary situational and indifferent drivers. Um, so the last motivator is traditional and that has to do with the mythology of how we are doing something in an organization and, or I mean, not, not necessarily in an organization, but I think about this a lot in organizations Um, Because naturally, there's always something new that needs to be done, um, something, you know, a new service that you want to provide, a new way of doing things. And on the left-hand side are going to be the receptive people. Those are people that really embrace change, that are thinking outside of the box, that are, um, oh, yeah, even though we did that, did it this way three months ago, there's this new and improved and better way. And yeah, let's do that. Mm -hmm. Um, versus on the right side is going to be your structured people. And those are the people that are going to say, you know, oh, we did it that way and it was fine. (laughs) I I don't think, I don't think it needed any, any differences. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are going to be the people that, you know, maybe are a little more reserved to, to completely blow something up and change it just for the sake of changing it. Interesting. It's interesting because I, fall more on the receptive side, but I am also a high S. Correct. Yeah. So it feels like they, they conflict each other a little bit, 
But I think, again, it's, it depends upon what I'm working on and what, and, and maybe why there's a need to change something up. Mm-hmm. I like general consistency, but I'm open to rethinking how we do certain right. things. I also right. process. So I might be against something at the very beginning. If you tell me we need to change it up and I'm, and I'm like resistant, I'm hesitant to change. But then once I've processed it, I'm more receptive. Yeah. So it, yeah. it takes me time, a little bit of time to really think about the why and how could we do something. Initially, I'm like, no. But then <laughs> yeah. I but then I can be worked off the ledge a little bit. Um, but it's it's interesting how some things feel like they conflict, but when you actually kind of process it just not to to be to be repetitive, but there it it does make sense. Yeah, and you know that you know that brings up the good point of how the behaviors and the motivators work together. Yes. Because I I even saw that with myself, um, you know, where there were some things where you wouldn't think that being again, you know, a um higher C that I would that my driving forces would be aligned with that, but just as you explained it, it's, you know, this is the why versus the how, right? So with you and your higher S in the beginning, your behavior is going to be stop, right? Right. But then your driving force inside you may be like, well, let me actually go back and think about what they were saying. And yeah, I think that this may be, you know, a better way, or this would actually work. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So they, they work. Sometimes they, they may, look to be in conflict with each other. But when you really break it down, um, it's just how you work through different situations. So interesting. It's funny, you know, I've obviously, having been with NCG for quite some time, I thought I know. I thought I knew DISC in its entirety. Um, I've never coached on it or ever d- done a full debrief with somebody. But Cindy, just kind of going through this with you connected a lot more dots for me. And I think now when I look at future assessments, it's gonna. It's it's fun. It's like a game to like see. Yeah, how it's a story. It almost. is a story. Yeah, it's more of a story than it is a game. That's a good correction. It's definitely more of a story. It's a story of how people operate. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, reading somebody's report. You can look through it and then, you know, again, like reading the behaviors, okay, this is the behaviors, but then going into the driving forces and saying, ah, okay, this is, this is what ticks this person. You know, this is how they, this is what's driving them to do these things. Um, You know, it's, it's really powerful. And um, I think, you know, in our, um, yeah, I've been on a few of the team discs and I, and I really, really love um, doing those because seeing teams work together and seeing when we're talking about one specific person and everybody's like nodding their head. Yep. 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 Mm -hmm. And and another um, way that we utilize this in NCG is also with spouses because we do coach a lot of family businesses, but even if your spouse may not be directly in the business with small business, they still kind of are at some way or another. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So we will, um, a lot of times run a disc on, you know, one of our client spouses and, and look at those side by side, um, and compare and contrast those to help them, you know, work out, especially if we're talking about, um, family members working together in the same business. Yeah. To be able to have this tool that helps you to understand why people are the way they are and why they operate is so critical. It, uh, and we, so 
I can't, I don't think we can say it enough. We highly encourage, um, this be something that you look into if this is new to you. Um, we do facilitate disc assessments here, of course, as we've spoken to, um, you can reach out to our team to help, to help facilitate that for, for a debrief, to do a team debrief. Um, I think it will provide a lot of answers, um, and a lot of aha moments, or that's why this happened. Um, kind of moments as you, as you read the assessments and the results that come through. Cindy, any last thing that you'd like to add as we come to a close here? No, I mean, and it's, and it's, uh, well, maybe it's not an addition, but I can't, I can't highlight it enough. When you're looking at the whole report, there is no good and bad. It's just who the person is. Um, and so, yep. you know, don't, don't get bogged down in, um, you know, well, a low C is bad, not bad, just who they are. And then we just need to be cognizant of that. Um, and they need to be cognizant of that in, in certain <laughs> situations. Um, so that's that we Fantastic. Cindy, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom on the world of DISC. This was really helpful. Um, I hope that this inspires some of you out there to maybe go back and look at your own DISC profile if you've done it, to encourage others to take it, to do a team debrief, to ask questions. Um, As always, if you have a question for us, please do not hesitate to reach out. That is what we are here for. Until next time, Sid, uh, this was a great podcast. We're going to, you'll be back on. You passed the test. I'll be back. (laughs) Yeah, you'll be back. Oh, good. (laughs) You. Um, Well, thanks so much. Until next time. Thanks for listening to this episode. Out of the Hourglass is recorded and produced by the team at Nolan Consulting Group, a nationwide business coaching and consulting firm with coaches located throughout the country. Have a question, comment, or idea for future episodes? We'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, www.nolancg.com.